You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Or whatever it is, and, and we feel the weight, I feel the weight of, of loving people well, primarily, I think, because, because the Bible places such a high value on what it, what it means to love people, especially as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Jesus in, in uh, John chapter 14, I have it up on the screen, John chapter 14 verses, or 13, excuse me, verses 34 through 35, he says this, a new commandment I give to you, and he's talking to his disciples, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What, what is Jesus saying there? What's he saying? Why, why is this such a big deal? What do you see? Isn't he saying, you know, people will know if you're affiliated with me by how you love them. Isn't that what he's saying? It's not going to be by what kind of t-shirt you wear if, if you have a Jesus shirt on. Or it's not going to be if you have a, if you have a WWJD bracelet on or, or if you have a Jesus fish on your car. It's going to be how you love people around you. And so this idea of loving others, this holds a lot of weight. And so when, when Paul talks about loving people and when he talks about how do, we, how do we as Christians, how do we live in the cultures, in the communities, in, in the systems that we live in and show people Jesus, that's what we're talking about this morning. And I believe that we all need help with this because we live in a culture that needs to see Jesus on display. Don't we? We live in a culture that needs to see Jesus on display, and, and I believe a part of the big idea, and I'll give it to you uh, in, in the very beginning here this morning, part of what we're going to be talking about is when we remember who we were, it gives us grace for where others are. Did you catch that? When we remember who we were and where we were, it gives grace for where others are. Let's, let's go ahead and jump in. Titus chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, he says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Let's, let's stop there. The first word in chapter 3, the very first word, I don't want to skip over it. We, there's, a, there's a lot of things and there's a lot that we could talk about that we're not even going to, we're not going to cover a lot of it. But the very first word, I don't, I don't want us to rush past. What does he say there at the very beginning of chapter 3, verse 1? What does he say? Huh? Remind. Remind them. Man, we need to be reminded, don't we? Uh, uh, one quote says, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. And I, I love that word. I love that Paul starts with that word remind because when I read that word, I read a word full of grace. I read a word from a guy who doesn't expect the people he's writing to to have this perfectly figured out. These are new Christians. This is a new church. They're coming out of a culture and a, and a governmental system and all these different things that's, that's really difficult. And what he says at the beginning as he's going to talk about how do we live among this culture, how do we, how do we love people well, he says, just remind them. Remind them, Titus. Titus is their pastor, and he says, remind them. This is a word full of grace because I think, again, oftentimes if you're like me, I'll walk away from interactions with my kids, and I'll just be like, oh, I screwed up again. 
I'll walk away from interactions with, with a waiter or a waitress, and it's like, ah, oh, I had an opportunity to love that person, and I screwed up again. Why do I always keep doing this? Why am I the type of person that keeps screwing up, keeps messing up, and I berate myself, and I run myself down, and no longer am I a person who missed an opportunity, but I'm a person who just, who just can't get this right. And I love that Paul starts this off, and he says, remind them. Guys, I, I was talking to my wife just the other day, and she was saying, you know, if we can still say sorry, we can still, we still have the opportunity to make things right because we still have the opportunity to say we're sorry. When we mess up, when we, when we miss opportunities, that's an opportunity, as Paul would say, hey, remember, maybe you need to go back and apologize. If you're still breathing, you have the opportunity to make it right. Isn't that a beautiful thing? You don't have to berate yourself. You don't have to say, I always do this. It's like, hey, stop. Calm down, buddy. Remember, go back. You have time. He says, remind them. Remind them to do what? Remind them to, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. We're going we're gonna to jump into that. But what I want you to see very first and foremost, after this, after this word full of grace where Paul is saying, hey, this is a continuous thing. This is, a, this is a continuous effort. He's saying, this is how you, this is how you interact with the, the systems that you're still in. I think what he's saying there, and I don't want us to miss this, what he's saying is that, yes, people that I'm writing to, you have been saved. Praise God. You have been saved. Your sins are forgiven. You're beginning to change. You remember, if you've been here with us, you know that, that this, this is a letter written to these people in the city of Crete. They're called Cretans. To be a Cretan in this day was to be a liar. If somebody says, hey, stop acting like a Cretan, they're not saying like a person from Crete. They're saying, stop lying to me. You see, they're people who are being saved out of that, and yet even though they're being saved out of that, they're still living in the same systems they were in before they were saved. They're still living in the same houses that they were living in before they were saved, with the same people, with the same, with the same structures. And he's saying, hey, you have been saved out of that, but you're still in it. So, so what does it look like for you to interact with the place that even though you've changed, it hasn't? It's still, it's still full of liars. It's still full of, the, the Bible calls them evil beasts and gluttons. And he's saying, that hasn't changed. You have, that hasn't. So what do you do? He says, first, be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. I don't know about you, but when I read that, and as I've been, as I've been studying it, that feels hard. Like, there's something in me that just bucks that. There's something in me that when I see be submissive to rulers and authorities, it's like, well, that's easy for Paul to say. Right? I, I think sometimes we read things like this, and we think Paul had it so much easier because he lived a long time ago. And things back then were just easier. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. But th there's this idea where it's like, well, Paul doesn't know what we, our systems, he doesn't know what we live in, right? May, for whatever political position you take, you can, you can take this, this position. You can say, well, Paul didn't have Donald Trump as president. Paul didn't have guys like, 
like uh, Obama as president. Paul didn't have like all these Democratic, uh, like what is there, like 20, 30, 100 Democratic people wanting to be president. Like whatever political structure you find yourself in, whatever side of it you're on, we can say, well, Paul didn't have this. He didn't have the liberal agenda chirping in his ear every, every time he turned around. No, Paul lived under the Roman Empire. That wasn't easy. Paul lived with guys like Nero who claimed to be God and who would most likely in just, uh, I, don't, I don't know how long after he wrote the book of Titus, but after he wrote the book of Titus, this guy named Nero, this ruler, would have him killed for his beliefs. That's the system that Paul lived in. And what does he say? Be submissive to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. Why? I believe that what Paul is demonstrating and what he's suggesting is that we have the same mentality that Jesus had when Jesus was being questioned about taxes. In Matthew 22, I don't have it up on the screen, but in in, uh, Matthew 22, Jesus, uh, he's being questioned. They're like, well, do you pay taxes? And you remember the story. He says, well, bring me a coin. And they brought him a coin. And he's, well, who's on the coin? Well, Caesar. So, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. But what does he say next? Give to God what's God's. I think what he's saying there is he's saying, look, these systems that you're in, yes, be involved, live among them, but understand that you are a citizen of a higher plane. That your identity does not rest in Republican or Democrat. That our hope does not rise or fall with whoever's in in the Oval Office. They are not Jesus. They will not save us. America will not be a place where that is back to the Garden of Eden. It's just not going to happen. We know that from Scripture. We should work hard and be involved, but we should do it in a way that we understand that we have more to live for. We have have a higher calling, and when we live within these systems and when we are submissive and obedient within these systems, it shows that. When you talk to somebody and, and when we rail against whatever political standpoint you have and when you try and tear down that other person... I don't think it shows that you're living for something more than just this political climate. I think that's what Paul is saying here. He, he says, be submissive, be obedient, be ready for every good work. What he's saying there is he's saying, be, have, a, have, a, uh, have a this, this mindset of, of readiness, a positional readiness for every good work. It reminds me of when I used to work for my dad when I was a kid, um, you know, we, we had a salvage yard and he, we worked all the time and he was a farmer and all these things. And so we'd always be working out there. And I, I, he had me out there when I was super young and I, uh, uh, I don't know, I don't know how old I was when this memory comes to mind, but there would be times where he'd be working under the hood of a car or working on a combine, you know, and, and he's working and I'm, I'm back here like this, standing back. You know, just watching. And, and I have a very short attention span, still to this day. I have a very short attention span. And before long, I'd be like this. You know, just like walking around, you know, kicking the rocks, like thinking, man, I'm missing Saturday morning cartoons. This is supposed to be the summer vacation. I'm out here, you know. And then my dad, he'd be working, and he'd look back, and he'd see my hands in my pockets. And that was a huge no-no with my dad. He'd say, get your hands out of your pockets. You know, and he'd say, hey, look ahead. Look at what I need before I need it. That was his favorite quote. Look at what I need before I need it. And I'm like, I'm 10, right? 
I don't, how do I know what you need before you need it? But what he was saying, what he was suggesting was have a posture of readiness. Have a posture of readiness. Because I worked with my dad, I went and worked with my uncle. And, and I'd be working, we were building houses, and I'd work with him. And he'd say, hey, Luke, can you grab me a hammer? And I'd go, and I'd grab the hammer, and I'd run back. And, he, and he'd just start laughing. He's like, hey, buddy, you can calm down. Like, we're good. Like, just calm down. But it's like I had learned from my dad. It's like I have a posture of readiness. And I think within the church, we don't have a posture of readiness when it comes to having, doing good works. We have a reactive positional stance. We, we, we think, well, if something happens, then we're going to get involved. What would it look like if we said, no, let's not be reactive. Let's be proactive. What has God gifted me with? How, how can we use this building? And, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to say, what, what would God have us do? Let's have a, positional of re, a position of readiness for good works. That's what Paul's saying in this culture that we live in, in this society, in this town, in these families. Do you have a position of readiness for good works? He goes on to say, um, be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one. We can't rush past that, right? That, that word that he uses there, it's literally, it means to malign. And that word malign, it comes from the word blasphemeo, which, um, what's that sound like? Blasphemy, right? When, if you look up the, the definition of blasphemy, it means, um, it means to speak reproachfully. It means to rail at. I love that definition, rail at. We have whole platforms for this, don't we, in our culture? I mean, we, that's, I think that's all Twitter's for, isn't it? I don't understand. I feel like an old person. I'm like, I don't understand Twitter. I don't get it. Why does it, everybody need to know what I'm eating at this, at this moment? But it seems like most of the time people use Twitter, Facebook, Instagram to rail at whatever it is that they're against. He says, he says speak evil of no one. Don't, don't rail against people. Don't, don't be ready to malign, have a re- positional stance of, of good works instead of maligning and running down and railing at. See, this all comes, uh, John MacArthur, this guy, that super smart guy, he wrote, he wrote it this way. When Christians become hostile to government and to society in general, they almost inevitably become hostile to the unsaved leaders of that government and the unsaved citizens who live in that society. See, when we're ready to rail at whatever we disagree with, people who are in sin, they stop becoming the mission field, and they become the enemy. And I think what Paul is saying here is he's saying, no, that's wrong. That's not how you live within this, within this society that you've been placed. That's not how you live in this governmental system. That's not how we're going to change things. He, he continues, he says, avoid quarreling. He says, be gentle. Remind them to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Man, that's a hefty list, isn't it? There's a lot of things in there that when we look at it, it's like, man, how am I going to do that? What is that going to look like? How do we how do, we do this, with this with the systems and with, with the, the fact that our country is so divided? I think he shows us in verse 3. It says in verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, 
disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What do you see there? What's he say? He says, remind them to be, to be submissive, to be obedient, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people, not to malign. And, and the, the way he says, hey, let this be your fuel, what does he say? Remember who you were. Remember who you were. Because what I said earlier, remembering who we were gives us grace for where others are. He says, remember, you were once foolish. So have grace for those who are, are foolish. You were once hating others and being hated. So, so those who you want to rail at, maybe you should have grace for them. I think a, a perfect example of this is, like, for me, I used to have really bad road rage. I used to just be so frustrated with everybody on the, on the road. Um, especially, I feel like, in Columbia. Every time I talk about this, I just think of the roundabouts. There is not a day that goes by that I approach those roundabouts, and there's somebody in them that does not know. It's, it's almost like they feel like they've been transported and placed in the middle of the roundabout. Like, the other day, I was, I was going to the roundabout, and I was approaching it, and this, this uh, one woman was, was going up, and she would stop at everyone, and then she just grabbed her hair, and she just goes like this. <laughs> I felt so bad. But I'm like, I feel you, lady. Like, I, Yeah. See, I used to get so frustrated with things like that until one day I just kind of had an epiphany, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm not that good of a driver. <laughs> like, just this past week, uh, my, my son and I, we, we were actually, uh, this is a weird time to share this, I guess, but we were actually in the hospital. My, uh, my daughter, she, she had a, uh, some big appointments. You can continue to pray for her. If you want to know more about that, you can ask me later, and now you're thinking, you're not going to be able to follow me next. Just keep with me. I'll tell you more about that later, maybe. Um, but we were in St. Louis, and, and I, we were leaving the hospital. We went to Jimmy John's, and we were leaving Jimmy John's. And, and I don't like big cities, you know, like St. Louis. And we were, we were pulling into this one, and I'm like, I should have been in that lane. And then, and then I, was, I was approaching this intersection, and, and, and I pulled into these other lanes. And then all of a sudden, it dawned on me that it's like, oh, I'm going the wrong way on a one-way right by the interstate. Cars were starting to come. Luckily, it wasn't like rush hour or anything else. But I was like, Jackson! And I did a U-turn. And I, w- I mean, it was like, it was terrifying. Jackson didn't know what was happening. So <laughs> praise God for that. But see, when, when I'm in a car and I start to get frustrated at the people in front of me, all I have to do is remember Monday when I wasn't that great of a driver. And maybe you're like, well, I'm a really good driver. I don't know how that applies to me. You know, I think that we've all been in churches. We've all been in situations where it seems as though there is a, there is a, a group of people, maybe, maybe even ruling the church, that just cannot show grace for the life of them. They, they, they can't. They, the, the mission of the church has become about what the carpets look like instead of about how many people are coming to know Jesus. And we walk away from churches like that, and and lots of times we say, well, if that's Christianity, I don't want any part of it. And I think the problem with those churches is that they have forgotten what it was like before they were saved, before they were believers. Right? You see, so often it's so easy for us where the further we get away from, from the, the further we grow in our Christian walk, the harder it is to remember who we were. And sometimes it's easy to look around us and say, yeah, but I never did that. I never 
I mean, these, these people around me, I was never that way. I never hooked up with somebody I didn't know. I never came to church a little bit drunk from the night before. I never, I never picketed somebody's funeral. I never fill in the blank, whatever it is. But the Bible is clear that we were all dead. Right? We were all dead. Um, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it's up on the screen, says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What does that say? What Paul is saying there is he's saying, I was a child of wrath. I was dead in my sins. You were dead in your sins. Maybe your flavor of death didn't look like the person next to you, but the, the reality is we were all dead. And what Paul says there is that when we remember who we were, it gives us grace for where others are. You see, evidence that we have forgotten the fact that we were dead is seen in how, how ready we are to extend grace. The fact that we have forgotten who we were can be seen in, in what, we get, what we get so caught up on, right? Are we, are we overly critical? It's possible that you've forgotten where you came from. You've forgotten who you were. And the reality is if we don't remember who we were, we will never be a church that reaches the next generation. Because sometimes the next generation is messy, right? People come in with their problems and their messes, and it's easy to say, you know, we, we want to be for broken people. We just don't want them to be that broken. And I think the only way we can actually say that is if we forgot how broken we used to be. See, Paul is saying, you've got to remember who you were you're going to have grace for where others are. But the, the praise God, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop by just reminding them who they were. Let's read verses 4 through 5. He says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Let's just, let's just stop there. You see, what he says, what he's reminding them about is not only who they were, but what God has done. And the first thing he says is, you have been saved. He has saved you. Right? He has saved you. Is it by anything that you have done? No, there you go. Right. Not anything you've done. We just said you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. I think lots of times we, use the, we like to use the illustration of like, oh, I was drowning in the sea. And, and Jesus came along in a lifeboat and he scooped me up. What the Bible would say is you're not drowning in the sea. You were dead on the bottom of the ocean floor. He saved us. He put life in your lungs. He brought you back from that broken place. He fixed those places in you. Right? Ephesians, again, if you, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, it says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. What is grace? 
Grace is something that you get that you don't deserve, right? That in, the fa- in, the, in your position of being dead, God saved you. And he says, through the washing of regeneration. I love, the, I love the word picture. Over and over throughout scripture, we get this word picture of what it means to be saved. It's, it's being washed and cleansed. It's through the blood of Jesus poured out on the cross for you. He took our place. He paid the cost, that paid the price for your sin. He took the punishment. And through that, he washed you. It reminds me of like, like a, a mother with their child, you know, like your kids ever come to you all dirty. Like some of the kids for uh, Backyard Bible Club, Mr. Stan's Kool-Aid was very blue. And sometimes they'd run out and blue all over their face. And it's like, oh, hey, let me help you get that. Let me just, let me help you wash that off. Let me, let me cleanse you. See, that's what, that's what Paul is saying. That's what we have been, that's what God has done for us. He has cleansed us. And he says it's through the, through the cleansing of regeneration. The washing of regeneration. That, that, the, the washing that brings new life to our dead bodies. And I, and I love the fact that we have, uh, we have the, the illustration of baptism. To see this. Right? In, in Romans 6 verse 4. Paul says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What we do here at Anthem Church, we get a, we get a, a cattle trough. And if you've, if you've been here, it's an I love baptism Sundays. It's a celebration. And people, people give their testimony, and they talk about what God has done. And then to, to illustrate what God has done, they step into the trough, and they sit down. And then we, we take them back and representing the fact that they are dead to their sins. That in Christ, they are dead to their sins. And yet we don't leave them under the water, right? We bring them back up, representing the fact that they have been cleansed. That they have new life that they are new people, that they are new creations in Christ. That's the hope that we have, that he has saved us. Not only that, but Paul goes on to talk about how he is continuing to save us. He is, he is saving us still. He goes on in, in verse 6, says, Whom he poured out, or excuse me, end of verse 5, By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Through Jesus Christ, if you are a new creature, if you have confessed your sins to Christ, if you have asked him to be your Lord and Savior, what we see throughout Scripture is that he gives us, he not only saves us, not only does he make us right before God, but he gives us the gift of his Holy Spirit, the person, the third person of the Trinity, to dwell within us to continue saving us, to continue making us whom he wants us to be. I, I love um, in Romans eight eleven, Paul says this, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What is he saying there? Is he say, he's saying, look, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And that's the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So, so tell me your problems. What are the things that you cannot overcome? What are the sin struggles that they are very real and it seems like they keep coming up and they keep attacking and you keep being defeated. But if, if this is true, then we have the same spirit dwelling in us that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. So what does that mean for our lives now? 
I believe that it means that we can live victorious lives. It doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that there are not things in the flesh that we are going to have to put to death every day. It doesn't mean that we are not going to, that, that we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't, that we don't confess those sins. But God is continuing to work in us. Not only did he save us, but he's saving us, and he will continue to keep us. It, 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 Paul goes on in verse, in verse 7. He says, So that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He says, we have been saved. He's continuing to save us, and he will save us, continue to save us, for that thing that we will receive when all of this is over. That this life, that we, yes, be active, be, be speaking to people, be, be engaged, be submissive, be obedient, but the fact is we have our eyes on a bigger prize. That this is not all there is. That we don't live for just this life, but we live for the life after life. And that life starts right now, and it is a, it's a beautiful thing, and we can, can continue to praise God in that, and we want other people to know about that. But guys, when we forget that we have a, the hope of an inheritance, and, and the implications of that is that we are God's children, that we are loved, that he has, that he has so much for us in, in, in Colossians or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says this, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. What does that say? It says that we can engage in this life because we have hope for something more than just this life. Amen? See, when we remember who we were, it gives us grace for where others are. But it doesn't stop there. When we remember what God has done for us, we have grace for where others are. Why? Because, because let me ask you a question. Who saved you? Nick, who saved you? Jesus, right? Yeah. Who saved you? Christina, who saved you? Who is, who is saving you? Right? You're like, Jesus. <laughs> right? I mean, we've been in church so long that that becomes cliche, and we forget that it's actually true that he saved us, not because you were good, but because he is, because he loved you, not because anything in you, but because he is loving. He saved you. He is saving you. He will keep you. When we understand that, it takes everybody that we would put in the unsavable category, it, that's done with. There are no unsavable people. Yeah, amen. You know why? Because he saved you. It's like, oh, uh, I, yeah. I wasn't worth being saved because of my sin. I yeah, worth because I'm a person I made in the image of Christ. But I had done so much. I had spit on the name of Jesus. Yeah, he saved me. So therefore, I can have grace, and I can reach out, and I can talk to people that it's like, oh, they'll never believe. They'll never be saved. Yeah, you know what? I shouldn't believe either. But I did, and I'm saved. See, it is not only remembering who we were, remembering what God has done that gives us grace for where others are, 
But remembering who we were and remembering what God has done leads us to engage where others are. When I was a kid, I, uh, I can remember reading stories about the Titanic. And I had this, I had this one little book, and in this book, it talked about the people who had been saved in the, in the lifeboats in the Titanic. And it seemed like there were two different groups of people, two different types of people in, the, in these lifeboats. There was one group of people where they were, they were saved, not because of anything that they had done, but because they got a seat in the lifeboat. And they used their position of safety and salvation to row as hard and as fast away from the disaster, away from those who were still in the water as they could. Because of fear, because of whatever else, they rowed as hard as they could away. And yet there was another group of people that, because, not because of anything that they had done, but they had found themselves in the lifeboat. They had been saved, and they used their salvation, their security, their new position to what? To turn that lifeboat around and go back to the people that were still in the water. They set the fear aside. They set their self-preservation aside. And they said, you know what? There's still people in the water. There's still people drowning. There's still people dying. And I didn't do anything to find myself in this lifeboat, but I will use my position now to go back and see if I can save more people. Guys, I believe what Paul is telling us here in Titus, what he's saying is he's saying you have been saved if you are in Christ, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are saved You are saved and sound. What will you use that salvation to do? Your position of safety, your position that says, man, praise God that I'm free. Praise God that I'm no longer uh, deceived. Praise God that I'm no longer that. Will you continue to walk in that away from the brokenness because that's just too much? Or will you say, you know what, I was broken. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back, and I'm going to, I'm going to see what God would, would do with me. I'm going to see what God would do with me. I love one of the quotes. It says, uh, I think it's MacArthur again. He says, it is righteous living that makes the saving message of the gospel believable to the lost. It is righteous living that makes the saving message of the gospel believable to the lost. So let me ask you this morning. What are you going to do with this? How are you living in this, in this society, in this structure that God has placed you in? What do your Facebook posts look like? What, what, how, how are you treating those around you? Do you have a problem extending grace? Do you have a problem reaching out to those who are still lost and broken? Maybe what God would have you do this morning is remember who you were. Remember that you were also broken. Remember that he also saved you. But don't stop there. Because we also need to remember that he saved us. He is saving us, and he will continue to save us. Amen? And when we do that, we can engage where others are. Let's, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. I praise you for the fact that you have saved us, God. I praise you for the fact that you have saved me not because of anything that I did, but because of who you are. Not because of anything that I could bring, but because of the fact that you are good and you love me and you are kind. 
And so, God, right now, I pray that you, would, that you would help us to not only remember who we were, but, God, help us to remember what you've done so that we can be people who engage where others are. It's in your name. Amen.